Welcome to Toastmistress's Podcast, a show about events and becoming the best host that you can be. Cheers to you, listener. Santé! Hello, bonjour, everybody, and welcome to the first episode of Toastmistress's The Podcast. I am your host, Shay Moi. Last week, I released a trailer episode for this podcast to give you folks an idea of what these shows are going to be looking like and what you can expect as a listener. If you haven't listened to that episode yet, I encourage you to go back and check it out to really have an idea of what's going on. Today's guest is Ida Kumquat. Ida Kumquat is a drag artist from St. John's who is absolutely not a stranger to the microphone. From hosting iconic events such as her inaugural kitchen party, the curated online magazine, burnt toast Zoom drag brunches with the Flem Fatales during the pandemic, and countless drag shows such as the upcoming Mother's Day brunch in collaboration with The Rec Room, she commands a room like none other. Recently, she has had the opportunity to travel across the island of Newfoundland to the West Coast, where I hail from, to host several sold-out shows. A multi-talented artist, she has also played an instrumental role in the production of the critically acclaimed ooze-filled show Return to Planet Flem with her drag flemily, the Flem Fatales. She is near and dear to my heart. It is the gassy lassie herself, Ida Kumquat. Welcome. Hello, peace and blessings. I'm just noticing that there's some black on my toe. I think it's liner. <laughs> um, obviously, I'm seated cross-legged. Anyway, Eggnog the dog is here on my left. What a little sweetie pie. Okay. Oh mm-hmm. my God. Tell the audience about Eggnog the dog. Is this a new dog that you have? Oh my gosh. Yeah. He's just over four months old and his name is Eggnog and he's a Moyen poodle, which means that a standard and a miniature made love and had a Moyen medium in French. I know. Hello. Full circle. Hello. Shame. <laughs> oh, la, la. Anyway. He actually chewed up a brand new heel that I purchased, no. um, which is fine because when I mentioned it to Madam Daddy, my sibling, they said, why don't you make it glittery heel? And I was like, yes, actually, that's a great idea because if I rhinestone it, then you can't see any of the bite marks. And unfortunately, it's not even like a soft leather. It's like a patent leather. So like he picked the worst shoe to chew. Um yeah, but now I ordered another pair. So I'm going to have the pair that I had originally purchased, which were on sale. And then I'm going to, you know, rhinestone the shit, the shit out of those shoes. And it already has a story to tell. So I would like to ask you, Edith Kumquatica, what are we toasting for this podcast today? What are we drinking? Mm, well, not only do I have a muffin, but I also have an espresso martini, oh. light on the martini. And by that, I mean light on the alcohol, heavy on the espresso, because it goes really well with my banana chocolate chip muffin. A pairing made for the goddesses that we are. G-O-D-D-E-S-S. Oh, a moment for Sasha Colby. 
that bitch is a goddess. I can't, I can't. We'll have to mention her after. But, 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 tell me, no, what are you toasting? So I'm gonna be toasting uh, a nice red blend from Bordeaux. It is a Chateau Pipo, and it was gifted for me recently for my birthday by my drag daughter. I love oh, really? a nice red. It really pairs well with this kind of dreary weather we're having. Why not have a little glass of wine to pep up your evening? You know? I mean, wonderful. I love a red. I also love a red sangria. Ooh. But I'm so partial these days, I have to say. Prosecco. I do have a favorite Prosecco at the moment. Okay, what is it? The Frisionette. The Frisionette is just lovely. It's now my Prosecco of choice and also amongst the Flemfetels because it was gifted to us. Whom gifted it to thou? Um, after we did Hello Flesh for Fogfest, the horror film film festival. So we were gifted a bottle of Frischnet and we haven't turned back since. So, well, let's toast. Yes, of course. Santé. Santé. The Moi Dynasty is growing. For this episode and all future episodes of Toast Mistresses, I have the immense pleasure of welcoming to the podcast my drag daughter Anne Moi, as she does her segment entitled One Minute Sommelier. A sommelier is known as a wine steward, and every week Anne Moi is going to be presenting the folks at home with a different type of wine. Each week, the wines will be paired with either the host, the guest, or whatever Anwa chooses, because it's her segment and not yours. So, without any further ado, let's listen for what Anwa has to tell us this week with her edition of One Minute Sommelier. Thank you so much, Shay. I was actually already planning on doing a sparkling wine for my inaugural segment. So when I found out that Frisionette is Ida's Prosecco of choice, it made the decision easy on which wine to discuss. Frisionette, first off, let's talk about the pronunciation. If you've ever found yourself in the store wondering how to pronounce the wine with an X in the middle of it, it was probably Frisionette where the X is pronounced as an SH. Frisionette is a Spanish winemaker having primarily been a producer of Cava, which is a Spanish sparkling wine. But as they faced increasingly direct competition with Italian-made Prosecco in 2018, they made the bold move to start producing and releasing their own Italian Prosecco, which is how we get the pleasure of trying this wine today. All right, I have the bottle of wine in front of me. It comes in a beautiful clear bottle with a surface texture that was inspired by diamonds. Before we open it up, I would suggest when you're opening sparkling wine to have a cloth over top of the cork because nothing will sour a celebration faster than a guest being hit by a flying cork. Here we go. So, on the nose, this wine has a pleasant blend of pear, honeydew, and I'd say just a hint of green apple. When you take a taste, the fruit flavors of green apple and pear are what you notice at first, but I would say it quickly gives way to a flavor of cream that 
lingers pleasantly. In terms of the structure, Prosecco generally tends to be sweeter than other sparkling wines. But in this case, I would say that the acidity keeps the sweetness in balance and never lets it become distracting. The great thing about Prosecco is that, like champagne, it can be used to mark special occasions. But at a price point that doesn't require it to be a special occasion, so you can toast with it on a birthday or an anniversary, you can also toast with it to friends on a Friday night, or with drag artists on a podcast. Cheers. So today, Ida, I believe the topic that we should get into is about inclusive language in hosting. You have a CV that is pages and pages long of your hosting experiences. What are things that we can do as hosts to do a better job to accommodate gender diverse audiences? Uh, Well, first, slay the world. Second... Um, <laughs> no, <laughs> I don't have a list. Um, well, I mean, the easiest way to start is to refer to drag artists, drag entertainers, and drag performers, calling them what I just said as examples. Just because I find, especially, and I don't know, I mean, you can speak to it in Ontario, but here in Newfoundland and Labrador, I find, especially when I'm doing drag shows for in places for the where they've never had drag shows before. They will refer to everybody as a drag queen. Even when there are more than drag queens present, they will just kind of assume that everyone is a uh, is presenting as female in drag. It's just not um not the tea. I'm a gassy lassie, uh, the citrus mistress. But also I, I find like people in the queer community do it too. Like I'm doing, I know that I'm doing a show this weekend. I'm doing it with Madam Daddy, my sibling, who is a, you know, a gender fuck um, goblin and they're lovely, but they are someone who plays with gender. I mean, their name is Madam Daddy. They might look feminine from behind. You could see them and they're like, wow, look at all that hair. That must be a woman. And then they turn around and then they have like, you know, a mustache and a beard painted on. And then they're like, that's a woman. And it's like, yeah, okay, sure. But you know, that's not necessarily what they want to go by. All of that to say, don't make assumptions. And if you can use more umbrella terminology. I agree. I agree. Like the general titles that we use for people to to just refer to the group. I think that it is in our best interest to resort to this neutrality when we're addressing these folks, because it is just a one size fits all. If you change your language towards drag artists, drag performers, And it's an easy switch because we are always trying to, you know, we are kind of the fringe society in ways that are trying to fight for our own place in the world. And why make the inner workings of our community more difficult and more minoritized in different ways that we really don't need to? So drag artists but also if you hear someone say if they if someone uses the wrong pronoun to refer to a performer or if they label a performer as a drag queen when they're not for you to just like pipe in and be like it's 
blank is also very helpful because when we did return to Planet Flam at the LSPU Hall a month ago, there were people working within our production team who both in and out of drag were mixing up pronouns. You know, it was just a matter of correcting the person to say like, oh, it's it's they, them. And then we had a note from someone afterward who said that, you know, they recently came out as a non-binary person and working within the arts, they don't always have the confidence to say to someone, which I'm also guilty of feeling, they don't always have the confidence to correct somebody with the pronouns of their choosing. And they, I guess, looked at how we were interacting with each other and they were like, you know what, you kind of... um, turned on a light bulb for me and I'm now going to go forward more open and more open about my pronouns and correcting people. But yeah, um, people get pronouns wrong while you're in drag as well. People kind of assume she, and I also wanted to say that um, I, in my everyday life, try to use the collective they for basically everybody. And if someone corrects me, then cool. But I believe that you can't offend anybody by using the pronoun they, them. And if someone is offended, then they're just someone who is already a bigot and I don't really care. But we kind of, we lean towards those. Like, you know, we're like, hey girl, you know, like, okay, sis, right? Which is, you know, fine and good, but not everyone's okay with that terminology. So like, I know that within the Flem Fatales, Instead of saying like, you know, okay, sis, it's like, okay, sib, as in sibling. And so just those little changes, I think, can make a really big difference for people just so that you don't activate any dysphoria that is just so prevalent within the trans and non-binary community. And for those of our listeners who maybe aren't familiar with the idea of what dysphoria is, would you mind elaborating on that? Absolutely, chez Hey Siri, define dysphoria. Dysphoria means a state of unease or generalized dissatisfaction with life. Okay. Um, she's Australian. It's fine. She's related to Kylie Minogue. And we love her. <laughs> yes. But yeah, I guess dysphoria, and I apologize, I did take a bite of my muffin. Like, for example, I felt um, dysphoric the other day when, I'm throwing this out. I went to the fucking post office was just dropping off a package. It was actually a package going to Ermagerd in BC because that's where she is right now. And a pair of shoes arrived the day she left. Anyway, she needs them for DragCon. And they were like, oh, like these are heels. And I was like, yeah. And they were like, oh my God, they're gorgeous. Oh my God, I love them. And I was like, yeah, actually I'm sending them, sending them to a friend of mine. They're a drag performer. And then she like stood back and she was like, oh my gosh, do you do drag? And I was like, uh, Yes, I do. And she was like, but you're not a man. And I was like, uh, no. And then she was like, I thought only men did drag. And I was like, uh, no, like women can do drag. Anyone actually can do drag. It doesn't really matter what gender you are. You can do drag. It's for everybody. And she was like, but you look like a woman and you do drag. And I was like, yeah, I mean, thank you, I guess. Um, 
I suppose that's what the estrogen's doing, but like, no, not really. I mean, I still technically identify as genderless. It's very odd. Like she was, but I know that she meant well and she, you know, mentioned that she watches RuPaul's Drag Race and that, you know, she watched Sasha Colby win. And I said, she's a trans woman. She just won. I was like, that's someone who does drag. That is not a man. Anyway, it was odd. It was odd. But that then was like, oh, that's okay, strange. Also very odd for someone to be like, you look like a woman. Shout out to the estrogen. And I was like, I don't know, what? So yes, and it's just, sometimes the littlest thing can, you know, activate that for somebody. I work in film and television and I experience dysphoria often. I try to suppress it suppress I try to suppress it but people just make a lot of assumptions about pronouns they use my dead name because I worked in film and television for years and I guess they only know me as that and so sometimes if I'm running into somebody and they are just leaving and they're like bye dead name I there is no time to correct and I'm actually hoping I have a like myself a couple of initiatives but one of them being I don't know why pronouns aren't listed on call sheets for films and TV shows because it's just like day screen, your legal name. Right. Um, Like John Smith. And it's like, okay, so why not just put the pronouns there so that you're aware of, you know, what people's preferences are rather than just assuming? Because yes, I tried to have a they, them pin. Didn't work. Got myself a they, them necklace. Still not good enough. So I'm legitimately... Considering a face tattoo. You are so smart, yeah. How'd you know that? i just like to reflect back that it seems like the moral of this is to assume neutrality with whomever you're interacting. They, them is a fail-safe in the sense that if the person is not comfortable with they, them pronouns, they'll then correct you out of that. However... Like you had said, if people have an issue with that, there might be some other underlying stuff going on. But also, as you had inspired the person working at the Resource Center for the Arts, that you also have the right to be unapologetic about it. We don't need to apologize for taking up space in this world, nor do we need to apologize for correcting someone on something that makes us more uncomfortable. Why are we sacrificing our own comfort for the comfort of other people? That's very valid, yes. And that's something I think that people would love to hear and I hope they hear when they listen to your podcast because I think we we need that reminder sometimes. Yeah, it's just, it kind of reverts back to people-pleasing behavior. I think that Mm. A, like not only queer people, but also neurodivergent people have always had to adhere to societal norms, which you know, inherently makes us people pleasers. And Mm -hmm. for so, so long in our lives, we neglect our own needs and just the bare minimum in terms of our identifiers and who we are as people. So all that being said, like, we don't need to apologize for taking up space. If it's someone else's discomfort for a few seconds, as we remind them that the existence to which they're preferring is not correct, then... That's on them if they feel that discomfort. We don't need to apologize for that. That's on they them. That um, is on they them. But like, 
But truly, I mean, that is totally correct. And I, you know, I appreciate you saying all of that. Another thing that would be helpful for people as well is to learn how to respond to that person correcting. Because at work, I've then corrected somebody to say like, oh, my name's actually this. And then you get a, oh my gosh, I know, I'm so sorry. Oh gosh, I'm so, yes, I I know that. Oh gosh, I'm so sorry. It's just, yes, I I forgot. Yes, I'm really trying. And it's like, okay, I don't need a monologue. I don't need this to be a moment. Falling to pieces. (laughs) Yeah, it's like, it's all good. Just try to not do it again. And then that same person did it again and then had like another moment. And I was like, oh my God, for fuck's sake. Like, just be like, copy, got it, move on. So I think people, you know, as, you know, non-binary, transgender, diverse people become more comfortable with existing in spaces unapologetically. I think it's also helpful for people to recognize what's appropriate and what's inappropriate whenever they've made a mistake. Because, you know, when you make it a bigger deal, I feel something rather than you know them just correcting it and then moving on because then it's just kind of like yeah it's good but then when they make it a big to do it takes energy to deal with and i don't think we have a lot of energy to go around anyway so and there's also this like weird kink to be victimized it's as if like the confrontation that wasn't even a confrontation it was just a correction they made themselves out to be this like evil person like oh my god I'm so sorry that I hurt you like I didn't like and just falling to pieces but I was like girl like it's not or they them it's not that deep (laughs) (laughs) you know I know it's wild yeah just like yeah as we used to say in when I lived in in res and stuff at university it's like just vom and move on <laughs> Not just bomb and move on. <laughs> oh my god! Well, that is perfect. I, I'm going to tell that to the friends. <laughs> bomb and move it's very on. Very on brand. Yeah. So we're going to take a short break here and just hear a message from our sponsors, and we'll be back to continue this lovely conversation with whom? Ida Kumquat. E D A K U M Q U A T. Fantastic. See you soon. Toastmistresses is proudly sponsored by Display Rules, a mental health awareness clothing company that starts conversations and stops the stigma. 20% of all profits made go towards mental health organizations in Newfoundland and Labrador. You can find them online at Display Rules on Instagram or www.displayrules.com. Go check out their stuff. They have a lot of amazing apparel and clothing that would make for a lovely gift for yourself or others. So go check out their website. This is a dear friend of mine and I definitely don at least 10 articles of clothing that I have acquired from them over the years and they continue doing great work. Okay, folks, we are back having a lovely, riveting discussion on inclusive language in hosting. Of course, we still have the amazing, incredible host herself, Ida Kumquat. Ida, 
When it comes to being a host and you're on stage and people are filing in, not being quiet, I guess so, and then just waiting for the show to begin, how do you get people's attention? My MO is to just be loud. But I guess whenever I get on any stage, I once like looked really deeply into my, like the way that I host. So I guess when I get on the stage, because I'm not really one to want to chit chat before a show. I mean, I'm usually running late anyway, but I like to arrive and just kind of gather myself. And then once I grab a mic and I hit the stage, basically my floodgates open and then that energy exchange begins. And so to start, I basically am trying to emit as much energy as I can to get the crowd to notice me and that the show is beginning. So, I mean, I might do it in a myriad of ways, but ultimately, you know, I, I'm not really one to ask the audience how they're doing all the time, which people do often as like a default, like, how are we doing? How are we doing? Didn't hear you loud enough. Yes. And so, um, I mean, I know that that's, that's a good way to get, you know, more people engaged, but lately at some shows I've tried to find maybe something that would like, is a bit more unique. Like, um, there was a while, a while back when myself and Madam Daddy did a show right before Return of Planet Phlegm, we introduced, <laughs> when I say beep, you say boop. And then it's like beep. I mean, you can also really drag it on. Boop. When I say peep, you say poop. Peep. <laughs> poop. And bathroom humor never gets old. Right. I don't know. So, yeah, I just, I, I really do try to keep people engaged. And I really do pay attention to the energy in the room. And I think that is is important because... If you sense a lull, then you're not wrong about that lull. Like it is indeed there. So then you almost need to overcompensate to get the audience out of that lull. So yeah, I just, I think it was Tiffany Haddish who called themselves an energy producer. And I vibed with that so hard. I think it's very important to think that way. And you touched on a point that I brought up in my trailer episode about this podcast of how hosting is an energy exchange. It's this like fine divide in between like doing drag for yourself, but performing for others. And then when you're performing for others, it leads to this energy exchange that happens. So I'm really glad you mentioned that because it's a very important thing because if you can't read an audience, girl, go to a library. (laughs) (laughs) That's so funny. But yeah, I, I just, I really am all about recognizing the energy in the room and I like to think that I'm really good in doing that because I really did struggle at times not no I shouldn't say that I struggled like for example when I went out to Deer Lake back in the fall to do Deer Lake's first ever drag show shout out to Deer Lake 
Yes, indeed. Queer Lake. And then I went to Pasadena a few months ago to do their first ever drag show. And going into those places that have never seen drag before or may have heard of it, but don't really know or understand what it is. I feel a great responsibility as a host and a performer, but especially as a host to give people the right idea to have people laugh and smile to leave at the end of the night wanting to come to another show. So sometimes I will, especially in those circumstances, I will spend some time warming up the crowd. I've taken like 15, 20 minutes. I've learned, however, word to the wise, that if you are warming up a crowd for that long, don't do a long number first. Mm -hmm. Because as the host, you tend to, or at least it seems to be the way to... um, open with you as the host and then do your number and then introduce the others, which I know in the drag community means, uh oh, you might not make as much on your first number, but hopefully you're making more as a host, I guess, to make up for that. But yeah, I, my first night in Pasadena, I, at the last minute, I'm like, I'm, I'm talking like three hours before the show. I was like, I'm going to change. I'm going to do, I'm going to do this mix instead. And I got to, I think, about four and a half minutes in the mix. And because I was, unfortunately, the host and the person operating the music at the same time, I couldn't stop the song in the middle. When I felt the audience, I felt I was losing the audience. And I was like, "Uh uh-oh, it needs to end now. And I was like, I'm not, there's no one on the music. I can't. SOS, SOS. Yes. And so that was a lovely lesson. I mean, I'm sure the audience didn't really care, but in my mind, I was like, oh, God. Oh, you know, and like we made that error as well when it came to Bass St. Gorgeous when we produced that two years ago, that the beginning of it was a lot of video content. And then when Mm. we performed into it, it's as if like the crowd wasn't engaged enough. And although we are super proud of the production in and of itself, we made a mistake. We made Mm -hmm. the disconnect before we connected with them in a way. So like the continuity, um, I think of what you're just saying of like hosting and then going into a song is kind of like the same beat that we missed from videoing and then going into a song because it was just this weird disconnect. But then you got to like really try to get them back in there. And that's such a critical job of a host. As we both know, we hear a lot of guys and ladies and gentlemen, which are extremely gendered terms and might not be, you know, a one and done or a catch-all kind of phrase. So what do you use as a host? Well, you just said one being folks. Um, My favorite is y'all. You all, Y apostrophe A-L-L or some Y-A apostrophe L-L, but whatever. (laughs) It's the other way around. Um, But I use that one so much just because it's easy. It's a single syllable. And like folks can, like, I guess you being um, you and studying what you're studying, um, like, I guess y'all, like a Y, uh, is easier to start with than an F. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And so, yes, I often use y'all. Um, I, I know that people, yeah, use, Hey guys, um, I'll use everyone or everybody sometimes as well. Um, and I don't know who came up with ladies and gentle them, but I use that a lot as well. I don't even use ladies and gentlemen, gentlemen anymore. Cause I know that some people are like ladies and gentlemen and all in between or something like that. Um, but I just use ladies and gentle them if I even have to go there, but it's not something that I say often. I know people kind of default to certain phrases when they're hosting, ladies and gentlemen being one, or, you know, madame, madames and monsieur in French. But yeah, I just, I, I love y'all and everyone, everybody. I probably say, hey, everyone. Hello, everybody. Yeah. And then y'all. Yeah, I'd probably start with everyone or everybody and then y'all throughout. Yeah, it's a good rule of thumb. So, Ida Kumquat's takeaway, start with everybody and then taper into a nice y'all. <laughs> Bring out that southern drawl all the way out. No, no. Oh, listen, it is. I have a character. Her name is Bethany Louise Simmons Diver Snow. Diver Snow Snow Clearing, Home Maintenance and Plants Repair. How can I help you? Um, but no, her name is Bethany Louise Simmons Diver Snow. Anyway, so I do. I have this idea for a television show. I'm not even kidding you. I. I like I think about it so often I really need it to happen um anyway but if so um uh yeah I, I'll be Bethany Louise Simmons Devereaux Snow but yes you can't offend a white um country what what are they I mean this leads to uh, an interesting point as well that what do you think people mean by woke we're talking about a lot of inclusive language and you know you see it online that people don't do pronouns which myself as a linguist i find extremely hilarious because one cannot experience language without using pronouns but that's too deep for them to under they thems to understand Mm -hmm. and it's just I find it really funny because, yeah, sure, they is third person plural, but it is always used to refer to something that you don't know. Did Mm -hmm. you talk to them? Did you see them? You're never going like, did you see he, her? Were you talking to him, her? You know, that that is that in my mind is, you know, syntactic gymnastics. Like you're really trying to narrow in your mind of like what, you mean by using pronouns, which at the end of the day, when they say they don't use pronouns, they are only referring to the gender binary, which is mm-hmm. what I believe. But yeah, what do people mean by woke? Bitch, fuck if I know. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you also mentioned the not using pronouns. Sometimes, like, I will maybe say, Shay is going out of town tomorrow, and Shay is going to drink some red wine recommended to them by their drag child. Shay is a very intelligent person and Shay is studying, you know, like it's, I mean, that's fine. People can do that, but it obviously just doesn't 
it's robotic it's, it, work. It, it, it you wouldn't read a yeah. book that read that way you'd like throw it out after yeah. page one it's like please just use a pronoun yeah. like something to yes. sub in i saw interestingly enough uh yesterday on twitter um have you seen the controversy going on around like evie oddly and having performed at one of the universities no so yeah they did a performance at one of the universities in the states and they got paid five hundred dollars amazing get paid get your life Mm -hmm. but the coach of the football team retorted being like they got paid more in a day than i do in a day as if evie oddly makes like 6.4 like million dollars a year you know and then there was this article that was released and they never once used their pronouns it was just oddly 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 evie oddly and it was so exhausting to read because you want the variety when you're you know reading anything that's just like a robotic when we get around the term of woke in my point of view being woke is just having space for everyone and being empathetic. Yeah, I I would agree. I mean, I think some people take that term and just weaponize. Weaponize, yes, thank you. I like I I actually I probably haven't used the term woke in like forever. I guess, you know, being open and accepting of all you know, love is love, blah, blah, blah. But truly, like, I just, I live my life by you are you and I am me. If you are not harming anybody or putting anyone down, then how you live your life is none of my business. And I expect the same in return. And it's like, you know, I don't judge you for you know any of the choices that you are making unless they're like really terrible but yeah I I think some people probably call themselves woke maybe when they're not or maybe they use the term because it's trendy to use the term I'm not sure um but I think you you hit it on the head when you when you said that it's about being empathetic and open. And I think that's how we should, I guess, navigate the world that we live in. Yeah. And you bring up an interesting point that like, yeah, you haven't used the term. I haven't referred to myself in the term. It's the others that refer to us as woke as a way to, you know, dig down mm-hmm. on us, which is very interesting. It's like, so you're saying that you're not open clearly to other people's experiences and not willing to make any kind of effort to, you know, alter your way of speaking or treating other people because you've just been doing it the whole time. We're progressing. Yeah. At a certain point, they're going to be left behind in my mind, in my, you know, not my hopes because that sounds really nihilistic for them, but it's like, I hope that, you know, it, it continues forward because we've been dragged back so much lately. Yeah in so many different and like it's trickling up here to canada like i am here in the capital of the country where all of these wannabe freedom fighters are coming up here and trying to get their rights that they have 
it, it's just so mm-hmm. weird. Like people just want to be victimized so bad. Like I said, it's a kink. It's yeah. um, it's quite wild. And then they just want to live the way that they have been living, which like, yeah, it's it's comfortable to live the life that you've always been living if you've gotten this far with it. But honey, yeah. society is progressing. We are moving forward and either get with it or get lost. I mean, the privileged don't want to lose their privilege is what it comes down to. I think, you know, they've not had to jump through hurdles to, you know, do something so simple uh, for themselves. And I guess it's funny to me that often the people who are up in arms about progress are often cis white people um gasping i cannot believe it but like we have them even here in newfoundland and labrador there are people who you know when that when the truck people the timbit taliban uh, oh my god what (laughs) lord i can't believe that exists that's funny the like i've seen like fuck trudeau stickers on cars here in st john's But we do have those people here. And it's interesting because, like, I've run into, like, one person in particular. And, you know, our local venue, Kaleidoscope, they are a restaurant and a drag bar and lounge. But they're a restaurant that serves food to anyone and everyone until they're all ages till 8.30. And they are within the laws or whatever, Mm -hmm. like, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, they're just totally allowed to have anyone of any age there. And if a minor is um, there, uh, they need to be with an adult. But at 8.30, anyone under legal drinking age has to go home or just leave the bar. And I guess there have been discussions of people because whatever issues people have with drag and children that they're just making up to distract us from the bigger issues. But there are people here who are like, we should go down and check out what's going on. Do you want to go down there and check it out? And then you have people who are like, stop trying to start something, you know, like I'm not even going to name that person because they don't even deserve the notoriety. But yeah, like those people have, I guess, wanted to, you know, come to our queer spaces and I guess to instigate, although they will, you know, disguise it as, you know, they're just looking to have a night out. A concerned Um, citizen as well. Yes. Mm. Yes. Um, But honestly, whenever I encounter those people, I legitimately pay them no mind unless uh, they are you know, saying something or, you know, being belligerent or something like that. But I was the host of a show and someone showed up who was um, a notorious convoy supporter. Like, was it was in that photo with everyone at, like, that bargaining table. Oh, we know who she is. Anyway. <laughs> hmm hmm And, yeah, I legitimately ignored her. I guess as a host, you will encounter those people. I guess you should always have, like, a plan just in case but i think the best the best way to to combat those folks is to just pay them no mind don't give them any ammo whatsoever and just be glorious and have a wonderful time and just focus all of your energy on everybody else in the room so that they all feel welcomed and loved absolutely 
And, you know, like, this whole, like, conversation and controversy surrounding, like, us and children's events. I know you and I have both done story times. Mm -hmm. And there was, like, one drag artist in the States. I can't remember who said it, but, like, it totally put it into perspective. It's like, they're not my ideal demographic. They can't tip us. (laughs) And I was like, yeah, T. But, like, for me, (laughs) like... I, I currently work at, like, a pediatric clinic as a speech-language communications assistant, and I also used to be a teacher. So, like, hearing that portrayed as, like, brushing a broad stroke on, like, the entire community, it's like, you are retroactively calling me, you know, a menace to my workplace and also someone for, my, like, my clients and former students to not feel safe around, which has always been the contrary. I'm practicing this art for completely different reasons than entertaining children. I don't know anyone yeah. who's gotten into drag specifically to perform for children. Like, that's just not many people's, you know, bit. <laughs> so it's just so, like you said, they're distracting from real issues. Well, ultimately, drag is a form of entertainment and it's an art form so as an entertainer you are entitled to entertain anybody of any age Mm -hmm. so if you want to put a weird spin on that then you know go for it but that's you that's you making that up in your brain but ultimately anyone who does drag is you know looking to express their creativity explore gender you know or you know in my case it was an avenue to entertain people in an art form that just encapsulates all of the things i enjoy doing absolutely i completely agree on that note i think that drag has done a lot for us as artists Ida Kumquat, I would like to tell you, and you know this already, you were the first ever host of a drag event that I saw in Newfoundland, or in my life. And it was a an incredible performance and show. It was when Shangela Laquifa Wadley came to mm-hmm. St. John's Newfoundland Labrador in July of 2018. And I will forever remember your white ensemble on the stage as you were the host and you performed Never Enough. It was it was mind blowing. It was very captivating and it was a an avenue of drag that I hadn't experienced before as someone who was consuming readily so many seasons of Drag Race. So I was exposed to you as uh, an amazing host, and then it was all downhill from there. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, so that Agreed. was like <laughs> that was one of my favorite things, and like I took a lot of tips because I wasn't I was considering drag at that point. I had never painted. I had never. I had, she wasn't even conceived at that time. But a few months later, she started to be conceived. But. It was uh, an incredible uh, opportunity to watch you and to cheer you on. And I know that when I had went to a bingo night back in the fall, you performed Never Enough once again and had that realized... was totally by accident. Yes. I have to let you know that uh, I'm hoping to perform that song. And I know it's like a you song, but would you give me permission to perform it? <laughs> 
Oh my gosh, of course. I mean, no song is really anyone's song. We um, don't own anything. But it's like as if I would go around and perform It's Oh So Quiet without like reaching out to Irma. <laughs> I know, right? It's so, what's so interesting is that I, my jaw dropped, hit the floor when they did River Deep Mountain High on Canada's Drag Race. Mm-hmm. I could not. Like, that's a song that I've been doing since my third, my second or third week of doing drag. And I think it's like a quintessential Ida Kumquat song. Like, I know people will do it, you know, now, especially now that it's been on Drag Race, if they weren't aware of it before. But ultimately, you as a performer put your own spin on things, you perform it in your own unique way. So I think, yeah, I mean, it's cool to, you know, reach out. Um to someone who has done like a song or um, is known for a particular song, but ultimately you can do whatever you want. We own um, and are owed nothing in this life. Mm. But what's so interesting, I wanted to say too, that that show, it's so interesting. And I know we've talked about it before. I would have started doing drag in March, 2018, and so that was my first major hosting gig. And I got it because Irma Gerd was unavailable and asked if I would do it. And I said, yes, of course, absolutely. And I loved like that performance of Never Enough was like a great moment for me too, because I've not been able to be on a stage like that, of that size with a spotlight on me and just to stand and emote so you know it's something I long to do again but it was it was it was a lot of fun and I think it just gave me a taste of like what I wanted and what I wanted more of I've basically been you know trying to get something like that ever since so fingers crossed you know absolutely I'll get a big audience and, like, that was a very well-received show. It was sold out, of course. Um, and, and ever since, barring that wasn't your favorite, what has been your favorite hosting experience? Mm, favorite hosting experience. I would say probably my first weekend out on the West Coast of Newfoundland. Because when we did Deer Lake... You know, that was a big thing. It was a moment for it to be the first ever drag show in Deer Lake. And there was some pushback from some people. But I knew that, you know, going into it, there was a lot of nerves. You know, I didn't know what to expect. Neither did Irma or Newfoundland. And we just received so much love. And it was just so, so wonderful. And it was like the beginning of something wonderful because you know we've gone back we went back another time and then now myself and lad will go back again you know potentially this month or next i remember when i was finishing up that first run of shows on the west coast we were in corner brook we had just finished our second brunch and it was essentially i was tired so tired i had blisters on my feet and i was to finish off the brunch close out the show and i did I don't know if I did River Deep or, or Proud Mary. I did one of them. I think I might have done. I just remember running, running across. Uh, Sounds like Proud Mary. Restaurant. <laughs> might have been from one end to the other. And after after 
it finished and I was closing out the show, I just remember like I was like tearing up and I started to cry because I had never been to the West Coast of the province before. I didn't know how I would be received. And I guess I just felt so much love and acceptance. So I think that was like a pivotal moment for me because I just, I want to do shows on the West Coast all the time. I just feel like an absolute rock star whenever I go out there. Yeah, and I can totally speak to that because obviously West Coast, Best Coast. I originally yes, I hail <laughs> from there. And along with my drag mother and drag sister, we have done two shows out there and the reception has always been quite incredible. Like we, mm-hmm. yeah, you feel like absolute superstars in that space. Misty and I, in particular, did a show at Clancy's Bar. I had reached out to you about it. It was just, winter and Christmas is such a tricky time to travel around. Anyways, I ended up getting sick the night that I had asked you if you wanted to be a part of it. And then um, we had done it a week later. Me thinking that, oh, it's delayed. Like, the advertising wasn't super stellar. Like, maybe that that won't be panning out in our favor. It was Mm -hmm. blocked. The bar was blocked. I made that night almost... Oh, my God. I know. So, obviously, you need to come to Stephenville. But it it, it is that West Coast charm. And once we get back after this quick break, I would like to kind of touch in what you're saying about how you had welled up in that moment and felt emotional. Because I think us as artists... When we perform, we have a difficult time being present. And I think it's perhaps some advice that we can offer to performers because it's so important to be there where you are at that time. So we'll be right back. So we had left with the idea of being present while performing. And I think that's one bit of advice that I can give to performers, but it's so hard because we are a character, which is inherently not our life, in my opinion. So it's like, it's an extraction of like who we are as a being. I find it difficult being present. However, I am working on it more. But sometimes it's easier if you're just like blacking out when you're performing because you'll just do whatever you want to. Um, But that's definitely one bit of advice that I would have. What advice do you have for hosts? I would say my advice would be to have fun and enjoy yourself because the audience can tell when you are not having a good time. And I think it it's important to stay hydrated and eat your apple lol i know that's a hot tip that you know a singer gave to me meg herder you know to stay hydrated and also to eat a little bit the best thing especially when you're corseted is to have apple pieces of apple although i still drink a shit ton of water anyway and yeah i just wait until i perform and then i I don't know, either deactivate my bladder through adrenaline or I just, I I sweat out the pee, let's I, say. I also have that feature as a drag artist. <laughs> I am always staying super hydrated. Like, it, it's a known thing for Shay. Like, Shay doesn't drink and drag. And mm-hmm. I am always drinking water and I never have to pee. And I think it's like, 
a luxury. Like, it's a gift bestowed upon me by the goddesses that I don't need to do that. However, maybe as I'm getting older that this will become more of an issue. But yes. (laughs) That is great advice from Meg Herder. Or when you take a drug that encourages you to pee, because yeah, along with estrogen, I take, is it spiralactone or something? And that is, is a diuretic when something makes you want to pee? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, so it has that. Anyway, but, I mean, obviously taking care of yourself is important to make sure that you're comfortable and that you have everything you need while you're hosting. But also... Trust the audience, I would say, and just welcome them with open arms because one of my favorite things to do is to talk to the audience. I actually love it, which is why, you know, maybe Ida Kumquat will have a talk show one day. Ida Kumquat's kitchen party on your screen. But I just enjoy meeting people. I enjoy learning names it's not always easy to learn people's names, but I'm, I know that people really do appreciate it when you learn their names. I am someone who tries to learn as many names as I can when I'm hosting uh, a show, if it's an intimate audience. If it's not, then I still will select people from the audience, learn their names, and I will often call back to them over and over and over again. Because again, I know it's about exchanging energy and you don't necessarily know what is going on energy-wise. But for example, when I was in Pasadena, as I like to say, Pasadinta, I had everyone in Pasadena saying Pasadinta by the time they were (laughs) um, leaving. But there was a woman who I continually called out to and I even, I, I even fell, I actually fell off the stage because I'm a klutz. Um, I fell <laughs> off the stage, landed on my bum. And then uh, I guess I had just performed Disco Inferno. So I just, you know, let out a loud Disco Inferno. Uh, and I was like, I'm okay, everybody. And I was like, it was your fault, Sharon. But uh, she came up to me after the show and was like, you don't know how much I needed this. She recently lost her husband and her stepkid uh, within like, I think uh, uh, like just like a month of each other or something like just extremely close together. And I guess had experienced that loss in the last um, number of weeks or whatever, and was just, so appreciative that I was able to, um, I guess, lift her spirits and make her smile and laugh for the first time in a while. And so that's why, you know, when you are doing a show and you are interacting with the audience and you are remembering their names, you are, you know, staying in the present and taking care of the people in the room, it goes a lot further than you might think. And I think that's what's really rewarding. And I think it's it's great for people to um, remember to do. Yeah, I had a similar story when I did our show over Christmas back home that there was this woman in the front and she was getting her life. The entire show, she was so engaged. And like I had learned her name um, and then was referring to her like, 
throughout the whole night. And then at one point, um, I don't often perform this song, but like I also, you know, when you go to like coastal communities and more rural places, you really need to alter your drag playlists. Um, I find to like top 40 country, like that is my avenue when I'm performing over there. And Mm -hmm. I did believe by Cher because we're just like doing a shout out to Pride as well. And Mm -hmm. she started to well up because that's her favorite song. And I was like, oh, yeah, Mm -hmm. like, girl, like, of course, like, it's such a good song. And then, like, five minutes later, her phone went off and her ringtone was Believe by Cher. (laughs) And so she she was absolutely enjoying, like, being a whole part of the show. And then I had learned, like, she had also been through really troubling things lately and, like, that must have been an outlet for her. And so I think that's one thing that you and I both do. Um, I do witness it in other hosts as well, because it's a relationship. You're up there for a Mm -hmm. one night stand with the audience and you want to make sure that you don't leave a bad taste in their mouth. And the best way to do that is making them become a part of it, whether willingly or unwillingly. People (laughs) love, like people, no one's safe at a drag show. Like, um, you, you are uh, comfortably safe, but in terms of interacting with people on microphones, no one is safe. And that's such a lovely thing to offer because it it gets people engaged. And, it peop- and then it's not only that person that you are targeting, it's the entire group that they're with. And then yes. that becomes inadvertently like a core memory for that group. And that's a really powerful thing to have as... Um, as a host to like kind of put that out there because we don't know where people go after they see us and what people talk about after they're done going to a mm-hmm. show. But I mean, if we can leave them with that fact that, you know, they had this wonderful interaction with someone who's on stage, they feel so special. There's this, this like palpable energy that they must get when we're up there and just like playing around with them. Cause it's all in good fun. I think also as a host, a regular host, I think we have a responsibility to make sure that, you know, people are, yes, enjoying themselves, but are getting the right idea and would leave that particular show and want to come back for another one. At least that's what I think. I know that some, you know, hosts might not take that into consideration and are just there like doing a job and and it might read you know that way that they're not as engaged but you had mentioned that when you interact with one particular person that can become a core memory for the group I have given people nicknames during a show that have lived on uh-huh. in their everyday lives. And I think that is so cool. I love giving people nicknames. But I think, yeah, that is that is true, that you do actually create a memory for a group of people. And, you know, you made that happen for them. And then, yeah, hopefully they'll remember you and then want to want to come back again the next time you're in town or you're around or doing a show. Yeah, and if I see Ida Kumquat's name on a poster, I know that that will be a show that I will attend. 
I mean, yeah, that's always the hope, right? That, you know, you see a name on a poster and people want to come out and see you. I know it's not always easy to, you know, get out of the house sometimes. So it's like, you know, to actually get up and go to a show can be a lot for some people or, you know, can really take a lot of effort and energy. So I'm just always so appreciative and grateful for anyone who comes to a show that I'm in. And I'm always especially grateful if, you know, they are generous with with tips because, you know, no one is obligated to give you anything. But um, yeah, it's it's always great to get that um, from people. Yeah. And I think one other piece of advice that is good is to have clear communication between yourself and other cast members when you are hosting a show, understanding the flow and things. Because, you know, it, you have these moments in life that like you sometimes like sit up in bed at night, like thinking about like, why the fuck did I do this? And one of those <laughs> moments is I had with you. Oh. We were hosting together last summer at Kaleidoscope. And before I got on stage, you had said to me, I'll introduce you. I was like, okay, great. And I was like, and I'll introduce you. And so I went up there doing this, like, kind of, like, anonymity, like, welcoming people to the show, like, kind of going over, like, the drink specials. And then <laughs> I looked over to you and you came over the mic. It's like, well, I think we should also introduce ourselves. <laughs> so I had understood in my mind that when... I was finished on the mic that you were going to take over and then introduce me. And then when I got on the mic afterwards, then I would continue to introduce the rest of the cast. So advice, housekeeping items are so important. (laughs) That's true. And maybe secondary to welcoming everyone there that evening, you should likely let people know who's performing. So that was a takeaway for me, (laughs) but it's also (laughs) relating to like the communication piece like knowing what the flow is knowing what the expectations of everyone is but like it's like one of those last minute things because you and I are very like off the cuff kind of hosts which is very good like I'm calculated in a lot of different ways but the energy you get when hosting is like a completely different thing that like doesn't really need to be refined so I kind of just wing it most of the time so but then there's these like communication breakdowns sometimes so that was funny um and was that our only time that we've ever hosted together Mm, i think we were probably on a stage with mics in hand together probably at velvet yeah velvet um i think we also might have did it at the it came from planet phlegm back in 2020 perhaps yeah but i mean that's different because it's like a show with like a narrative and is less about like hey everybody welcome and we're going to do numbers now and more of like hey you're here for a show and we're actually like characters within a cast As another narrative show, I'd just like to take a moment to, you know, jump down memory lane because you and I were a part of an incredible production that will live on in my heart forever. And it was one of those things that was like the sheer injustice of the world that it got robbed from us in plain Mm -hmm. sight. Ida and I were 
members of the cast of La Cage au Folle. That was a musical produced by Tada Events. We had rehearsed for months and with, you know, we bared the brunt of the uh, snowmageddon. We had mm-hmm. awful weather. We're in between. You and I went into that production having won competitions and right. kind of, you know, sailed into roles. You played, obviously, the illustrious, incredible part of... Jacob. Jacob. Jacob was the server, was the hôtesse, was the the member of the family adjacent within the production. Mm-hmm. I was the member of the Cajels, and we worked so hard on this piece, and it was such an important narrative to even just get out into the general public and we had one show and then the next day everything shut down and we you know put in so much time in that and I just remember that heartbreak that Mm -hmm. happened that day we had our cast party that weekend um what are some of your memories from that time of our lives I look back at that time so fondly. I also look back at that time with, mm, I don't know the the word that I want, but I basically am so grateful for that experience. At the same time, I'm not necessarily mad, but I'm just miffed that we weren't able to showcase everything that we had worked on for the full run. There were numerous people, including my family, including, you know, my drag family, who didn't get to go and see the show. And then I guess I I just remember at the time, the director, Terry Andrews, saying, you know, you are going to be the like breakout star of the show or whatever or like a highlight of the show and that people will like this will open hopefully will open some doors for you and I guess I did feel like that was going to happen you know because I love to be on big stages and I love to entertain a lot of people and so I was very excited uh, to have the opportunity to showcase I guess, abilities that I don't normally get to showcase. Because, yeah, people are like, Ida, come quite as funny, but, you know, not necessarily in theater. And so I am miffed that I didn't get that opportunity because it's just like I'm in the same boat now, right? Like, I mean, Tadai Events did Kinky Boots and had an, a total sold-out run six shows Mm -hmm. at the arts and culture center in St. John's. And like, I half wonder, you know, the community has probably come a little ways that a a show that incorporated drag like kinky boots was more well-received now than it would have been back in 2020. But yeah, I, I just, I really loved that time. And I am sad that we'll probably never be able to capture that like special essence again yeah it's just it's so bittersweet yeah i completely agree and terry had like a really lovely way of saying things that really built us up 
as artists because like we got to be part of like such a a, a well scaled event. Shout out to Terry, of course, Pamela Pittman in our choreo, Evan Smith in her musical direction. We had such a fantastic time getting everything ready, of course. One thing that stood out to me was we were doing like the curtain call practice. And Mm. I have a very expressive face. I think we both have very expressive face. Maybe your, your forehead is not as expressive as before for some reason. (laughs) <laughs> I think my Botox has dissolved actually it's been many months <laughs> but I was um, we were doing the curtain call and I think you were in the same square with me I think I remember just Terry saying like folks you need to look to Shay and like how she is emoting right now because if you don't get mm-hmm. to the scale that she's on then all eyes will be just on her and like I was okay with that, <laughs> but she. Just, but it was like I was less than a year into drag at that point, right? And I was growing so much. You and I had such amazing chats when we were getting ready for the shows in general. That you were helping with makeup tips. It really grew our bond. It really grew my bond with Irma as well. Like I can consider Irma like a close drag friend in those senses because we we grew. We fostered each other's art in different ways. And then, like you, I had so many people that were coming as well. And I know that both of our Debbies lamented mm-hmm. after we finished the show. And you had a status, and then your Debbie commented, and then my Debbie replied to your Debbie's comment. And I was like, oh, it's so special. And I'm so sad that they missed it. But if there was one good thing to have come out of this being not performed throughout the whole iteration that we had hoped for we got it immortalized we have it on dvd i've watched it several times and it's just uh, it just brings me back have you watched it back i think i watched it one time i the last time i would have watched it would have been during the pandemic like so it would have been in like the spring of 2020. So like, you know, to look at it three years later, I think would be a treat. Yeah. I think one thing that we can agree on is that we are extremely grateful for that opportunity that we had. Obviously we are miffed that it wasn't (laughs) done out to its full potential, but c'est la vie. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. So, folks, speaking of gratitude, I would like to hear from you, Ida. If you were to name three things that you are grateful for, what would they be? Um, let me think. Um, of course, I'm so grateful for eggnog, the sweetest, uh, the sweetest little boy. And I am grateful to have a home to live in a roof over my head and I'm grateful for my close uh, circle of friends partner family yeah because I think it's it's great to have um, a, a support network that you can count on that's fantastic the reason I'm doing this kind of segment in my podcast is I think we could all use a bit of gratitude in our lives we mm-hmm. have the you know 
default setting to focus on things that are really negative and things that aren't going well in our lives that we wholly and omit the things that are really going well in our lives. So Mm. there was a study that came out in 2021 that if you practice being grateful for three things a day for 21 days, there is a marked increase in optimism. And who doesn't need a bit more optimism nowadays? Slay the world. (laughs) Folks at home, take a moment. Take a moment. Let's think of three things that you could be grateful for. It's not that hard. And... Being more I'll give them I'll st- I'll give them a start. Ooh, Eat yeah. a kumquat, shame law, then your third thing. <laughs> there you go. There we go. <laughs> Amazing. So in your day-to-day life now, in terms of like your media, what what are you consuming lately? I of course I love music. I have been listening to 10 out of 10 by Kylie Minogue Ooh. and Oliver. And I hope to hear it at many queer events in the summertime. And um, yeah, but also like, I mean, in terms of things, I ju- I sailed through beef on Netflix mm-hmm. with Ali Wong. Um, and it is like an all Asian cast. And also because it's gorgeous, but I also really enjoy documentaries. I've been watching 100 Foot Wave, which is um, a series about big wave surfers. These surfers are adrenaline junkies and they surf like 60, 70, 80 foot waves. And there is the collective hunt of the 100 foot wave. Um, And it's just so cool. It's just so cool. And the shots are so, so beautiful. I'm biased because I, I love the ocean and I love the colors. They feed my soul. But yeah, it's it's very, very cool. I can't really think of anything else. Eggnog, honey, you can't have the pig squeeze toy right now. Um, <laughs> so where can folks find you, Ida Kumquat? Would you like to give us your handles? I can't believe I just sniffed and had booze. Uh, and by booze, I mean boogers uh, in my nose. <laughs> the espresso martini got there. Um, but yes, of course. I mean, I'm at Kaleidoscope Drag Bar and Lounge every Wednesday in St. John's, whether I'm doing drag bingo or trivia or perhaps playing Mario Kart. And I also have a Mother's Day drag brunch coming up at the rec room in St. John's with newfound lads, Stella Starlet and Terranova. And yeah, you can follow me on social media, EDA Kumquat with a K. So that's E-D-A-K-U-M-Q-U-A-T. And you can find me at um, The Dog is Getting Rowdy Now. Uh, you can find me on TikTok, Twitter, Instagram, all the all the places. And yes, just always remember me fondly. Of and course. you can also remember me fondly by um, sending money to E-D-A-K-U-M-Q-U-A-T at gmail.com because I'm registered for audit deposit. So incredible. People will be able to slide right <laughs> into your bank account. I'd like exactly. to thank you so much for joining me today, uh Ida Kumquat. It is always a pleasure to Kiki with you. Oh my gosh, thank you so much for having me. And now that eggnog is rowdy, wow, what a great time to finish. <laughs> thank you so much. All the best to you. And I hope that we'll work together soon in the future. Yes, of course. Listen, I am hoping to travel maybe this year. So perhaps I'll get up to Ottawa and then maybe I can do something with you up there. Incredible.
Okay, folks, mm-hmm. thank you so much for tuning in to this week's episode of Toast Mistresses. Au revoir. Bye. Toast Mistresses is written and produced by Chez Moi, hosted by Chez Moi, edited by, you guessed it, Chez Moi, and sponsored by Display Rules. <laughs>